Colossians 3, 26 to 4, 7. Uh, we'll be reading from the NIV. Um, again, Galatians 3, 26, 4 to 7. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to, the gar uh, to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when you were underage, we were in slavery until the elemental spirit, spiritual forces of the world. Uh, but when the, when the set time had come fully, or had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might re uh, receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's ch child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Nathan. Have you ever been a, a victim of identity theft? Anybody here? Yeah, yeah, I have too. And this is very common nowadays, unfortunately, because of the nature of our environment, our culture. And it's basically when someone pretends to be you, but they're not really you, because you're you and they're not you, but they're pretending to be you. And it's one of the reasons why the IRS, because this is tax season now, right? We've got to submit our tax forms. They strongly encourage you to do your tax forms and submit them as early as possible because that's what some scammers do is they will target you, use your identity, do the tax forms in your place, and get your refund sent to them. So when you do it and you submit your tax forms, they'll say, they'll reject it and say, we reject it because you already submitted your tax forms. And you're like, what? <laughs> and it's a big mess for you to convince them that otherwise that you are you and the other person was not you. And uh, yeah, you know the government is very slow and changing its ways and IRS is overwhelmed now, so it'll probably never happen. So anyway, not to be depressing, but just, you know, work on your tax form, submit them as early as possible. Uh, some of you are aware that this happens to me probably once or twice a year uh, because you are given an email by someone who says they're me, but they're not me. And the way this happens is it's a scammer. They go to our church website, and they look at all the public information there, and they'll get my picture, and they'll, and they'll get the, all the emails that we post for you who are in contacts for this or that. And then they'll send you an email from me, you know, Pastor Jeff Wisman. Of course, it's not any way I would write an email. I don't even know if they use your name. They just say, hey, you know, so-and-so, you need their help. And usually it's, you know, you got to get back to me as soon as possible. This is urgent and everything. So if you do write back, then they write back to you and say, 
oh, there's this family in dire need uh, or you know, someone's in desperate need of something and could you, and I'm, I'm not available to do this right now, so could you get uh, money? <laughs> it's always about money. And uh, could you like get it ready and then I'll send you later how to send it to me so that we can help this family. And uh, one, I would never do that. And if I did, I'd probably call you up. I wouldn't just send you an email like that. So, and also, just check the email address. It's not even my email address. So uh, it's, it's just a scam. Or, it happens to me quite often, somebody on fr- uh, Facebook will ask me to be friends with them, but I'm already a friend with them. So it's like the same person's asking me to, and my mom's done this a couple times. Well, the fake mom. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if you're not careful, you just say, oh, yeah, I should be fr- friends with them. But then you think, like, wait, I'm already friends with them. What, what's going on? It's, it's a scammer. What they're trying to do is once they're friends with you, then they get access to all your other friends if you kept them private. And then they can either pretend to be you or they can go through them and make life hard for them as well. So there's this ongoing attempt to steal our identities for people's own purposes. Well, the reason I bring this up is because when we read our text today in Galatians that Nathan just read for us, it makes very clear who we are in Christ Jesus. Who we are. It it, it clarifies the truth that we are sons of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we're making our way through this ancient letter written to Christians in the province of Galatia. I've got my uh, little clicker here. If you could just go to the next slide, Nina. If I turn this on. Yeah. Galatia. That province there, the Roman province, where it is modern-day Turkey, and I circled it this time so you guys could get this idea. I want you to, I'm going to repeat this over and over again so you just know, but it was written to these Christians who were located in this area of the world at the time, this ancient time when Paul was writing. And the Apostle Paul is the letter of this author, and he was a very, very educated Jew uh, who persecuted Christians, and then he himself converted to Christianity, as we've heard in the past in the first uh, message of this series. And then he began following Jesus as Lord. So now he's writing as an apostle for Jesus to these churches here and these people. Now we've seen Paul stress again and again so far into this letter that it is only by faith in Christ Jesus that we are justified, and it's not by anything we do, any good works we do, how good we try to be that justifies us or earns us favor with God. It's only by trust in what Jesus has done through his work on the cross, his resurrection to life, and therefore, when we trust that, we can be justified. So then the question that bears to be asked is, why do so often Christians have a hard time uniting? If we follow the same Lord, then why do we often see that Christians in this world divide over things and even fight each other at times? I was thinking that maybe in this country it's because we often just focus so high on the American cultural value of individual rights. And there's so many choices for what we can do, and and so we can just do our own thing, and if I don't like what's going on in this church, I'll just leave and go find another church, because that's the consumer mentality, right? We just go find what we like, we go where we want. So rather than, quote, dividing, we just leave and go to another church. Or maybe, like, you, you know in the last, if you've been alive and listening to the news at all, the Democrats and the Republicans are at odds with one another. Uh, they're always in contention, very polarized in what, many issues, and often 
Christians on, are on either side of these issues as well. So we're seen as divided on that. And then uh, for the first almost 250 years of our history as a country, starting with the first established, uh, established uh, colonies or settlements, we practiced slavery for the first 250 years of our existence in this land. And, and Christians were on both sides of this issue, for slavery and against slavery. And they tried to rationalize it, and then it brought us country to a civil war. And even then, during the battles in the civil war, we had literally Christians fighting other Christians and killing each other. Let's, that's messed up, right? That's messed up. But that's another example of us dividing and not being able to unite in Christ. So why are followers of Jesus sometimes as divided as the rest of the world? Well, it's because we forget who we are at those moments. We forget what unites us together. We're, we're, there may be big differences between us on certain issues, but the ultimate truth that unites us together is who we are in Christ Jesus, sons of God. And therefore, when we are remembering that, then we can work together in the kingdom, together, and our diversity then becomes a strength rather than a division. I remember this movie, uh, Remember the Titans, and how this was an example of, in our history as a, as a country at least, people of different um, ideas and ideologies, uh, who would come together after understanding one another better. And the story, it's based on a true story back in our history as a country when the high schools used to be segregated. Blacks would go to one, or people of color, I should say, go to one high school, and then the white people would go to the other high school. And it was like this throughout a lot of our country. Well, the federal mandate then started to be applied to this one area uh, in Virginia, Alexandria, and so one, the black high school and one white high school were closed down, and they were both sent to this other high school, T.C. Williams High School, and Titans was the name of the high school football team at that high school, in T.C. Williams High School, and what was interesting is now there was an integrated high school, integrated football team, and the, the coach of the black high school football team was made the head coach of this new team of combined, and, and the white football coach uh, of the white football uh, team was very, very successful. And so he had to be now a, a, what do you call it, assistant coach under the black coach. And so there was a lot of tension at first, but that year that the story shown is through the high school football team's eyes and the coaches. And it's really interesting if you haven't seen it. Denzel Washington is a great actor. He's the you know, football coach of the, of the team. And, and the story is how the students and the coaches really tried to understand each other. Uh, and as they understood each other, they began to trust each other and work together. And they realized working together, they were much stronger than they could have ever been working separately or even being against each other. How much more meaningful than a desire to win football games is it to be following the living God the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring us together despite our differences, even different opinions, but rather than to lead us to the point of even killing each other for this difference of opinion. You know, the, the Lord Christ is the author and protector of our faith, 
So we, as Christians, that is the overarching truth that would propel us forward together. But we are united when we know the truth that we are sons of God by faith. That by faith we are sons of God. Chapter 3, verse 26 of our text says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. This sonship that we hear about here is really in Christ Jesus through faith. We've heard this before. We're hearing it again, and we'll hear it again. We're only God's sons when we have faith in the Son of God, God the Son. And that's what unites us, and it is through that faith that God then adopts us into his family. You know, some, unfortunately, have taken offense to using this masculine word, sons of God, when referring to all Christians, male and female, to be called sons of God. Uh, to emphasize this inclusive intent, though, because it is for everyone that we are, God is making his children, but specifically sons, uh, the NIV, as we see here, uses, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And so it does give, bring that inclusiveness, but it really loses out on the radical uh, nature of Paul's statement. Because in the original text, Greek text, Paul uses the specific word, sons of God. You can see this in the ESV translation, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Why am I bringing this out here? Because it was radical, it was revolutionary for Paul to make this truth claim that we are all sons of God, whether we're male or female. Because in that day, daughters did not inherit property. In most of the ancient world, females could not inherit property or an inheritance. It was always the son. So a son meant heir to what was due to the, you know, the family inheritance. And so for Paul to say, you now, male and female, are all sons of God, inheritance, inheritors of God's, what he has, the glorious uh, future he has for us. And so that was radical in Paul's day. It was you know, it was a very egalitarian message of Paul. And, you know, in a similar way, the Bible describes all Christians together, including men, as the bride of Christ. Male and female. We are the bride of Christ, the church. And that's a very, including men into a female metaphor. And now, you see, it's very, um, God is very, equal in his uh, gender-specific metaphors, right? So men are the bride of Christ, and women are the sons of God. He uses what metaphors really communicate what the meaning that he's saying means. And so we, we don't want to miss how radical and wonderful a claim this is for the Apostle Paul to call Christian women sons of God in that ancient culture. It was radical. Well, this means then if we're children of God, sons of God, then God is our Father, which is the truth. He is the Father of all. Some people have said even those who don't follow the Lord God are like his children that have, have just rejected the family. And our job is to try to convince them that their Father loves them and bring them back into the fold of the family. You can think of it that way. You know, the God, the creator of the universe, he is the king of kings, and he is the Father of those who trust and follow Jesus Christ. 
We are no longer to fear him, dreading the punishment that we all deserve, but he is our loving, forgiving, compassionate father because of what Christ did for us. It's important for us to understand that it is through faith in Jesus that we are forgiven and justified for our sins. And because we are in Christ, that we are adopted as sons of God. So verse 27 then says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now the image here is that the believer is taking off this dirty clothes of sin and unrighteousness and then taking the righteous robes given to us by faith in Christ and putting them on. And then that word baptized into Christ, baptism just means like full immersion. Uh, Like before the pandemic, we would totally immerse people in water because that captures the meaning of baptized into Christ. He becomes, he totally encompasses us once we place our faith in him. And it's just like putting on clothes. So there's that image here carried out. And this would, for the Galatians, this idea of changing clothes would have had an additional meaning because they were Roman, under the Roman Empire. And often, children would dress like children until they became of a certain age. And then they would replace their childlike clothes with the adult toga of this Roman culture. And, and so th- they would literally take off clothes of the child and put on new clothes. So there's that imagery that the Galatians would have understood as well. And the same applies to us as believers. Our faith in Christ, when we follow Jesus, what unites us is that we bear Christ. It becomes externally obvious to others that we are a follower of Jesus, just as obvious it is of the clothes we wear. So it's not that we're all wearing the same clothes like, you know, North Face or J. Crew or whatever it is that we wear, right? It's, we, can, we wear the brand of Jesus, and people can see that, obviously, by the way we live. So because we're all sons of God and we're all clothed with Jesus Christ, Paul radically continues then in verse 28. And he says there, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See the unity he is emphasizing there, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are to make no distinction of ethnicity. That's what he starts with, right? Neither Jew nor Gentile. No matter what we look like, what color skin we have, where our origins are on this planet, we are all in need of his salvation. We are all equal in our desperate need of forgiveness. And we're equal in that sense, and we're equal in value in God's eyes because he, had, he loved the world so much that he died for all of us, all ethnicities. And so we are not to make that distinction in the sense of value in, within the church, the family of God. The kingdom of God makes no distinctions of ethnicities. The United States Constitution was founded on this principle, right? All Men or all people are created equal. But we have struggled, even though our laws try to uphold this, but we continue to struggle as a country to carry this out. And unfortunately, we still struggle as a church in general to carry this out, not making any distinctions in the sense of value with respect to ethnicity. Also in Christ, there is no distinction of rank or economic status, right? 
neither slave nor free. That was quite a difference <laughs> in the ancient culture, and it still is today. But wealth, privilege, education are all things that often divide us. We value people according to the things they have achieved in education, how many degrees they have, or how, what position they have in the workplace, how successful, how much money they make. We, we tend to distinguish that. Unfortunately, even in our own community here, right? You know, where are you going to school, or what do you do for a job, or whatever. Immediately, you know, we're, we're unconsciously placing people of greater or lesser value. And that is not supposed to be done within the church of Jesus Christ. Not at all. And that should not separate brothers and sisters in Christ. There's also no distinction of gender, male nor female. Equality of the sexes in God's eyes and within the church is the church should take a radical lead in the world on this. That men and women, there's no distinction of value for that. And so it's time for the church to lead the way of enabling our sisters in Christ to, if they're gifted, to rise up to teach and to lead in whatever ways they're gifted. Because God has gifted each of us, and if our sisters are gifted in leadership or in teaching, then we should allow them to express what God has given them within our midst. You know, Christ abolished these distinctions. Not that they don't exist. They do. Obviously, there's men and women here. But he in his church is saying, we are now one in Christ and express me among yourselves, you know, without that uh, pecking order happening. And man went to a, an asylum for the criminally insane and he was a bit surprised because for a hundred inmates, there was only three guards. And so he asked the guards, he's like, how, I mean, are you guys worried that the hundred people could like unite and overpower you and then escape because there's only three of you guys? And the guy laughed and he says, you know, lunatics, just they don't unite. They can't unite. <laughs> they wouldn't even think about that because they're out of touch with reality. And likewise, as Christians, when we don't unite, when we can't unite, when we are at odds with somebody who is a brother or sister in Christ, and we cannot unite, then really, we have lost idea of who we are in Christ. We've lost our identity in that sense. And we've lost the power and, and, and who unites us because that is who we are. We are his church, his body on earth. God is our father. We are clothed with Christ. We are all one in Christ. And then verse 29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, Abraham died some four, over 4,000 years ago. The promise God made to him pointed to Jesus Christ. Remember what we said in the previous weeks? The, the, the law just pointed to Christ. God's promise as well pointed to Jesus' coming, Abraham's seed. And by faith in Christ, now we also, in Christ, are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise God has made. And so we have so much to unite us together, brothers and sisters, and not divide us so much. But before we had faith in Christ, before we followed Jesus as Lord, we were slaves. And in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, there's this analogy that describes our slavery. Paul writes there, 
What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole state. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. When a person does not have faith in Jesus as Lord, he or she is like a little child under the guardianship of a slave in that day and age. We talked about it in the previous week, right? It's this slave, a very educated slave that would be put in charge over the child or children to teach them or discipline them until they were of age. And then they'd be out of work in that sense. And without faith in Jesus, it's saying here that we are slaves. And in this context of Galatians, slaves to the law, whether it's the law of the world or the law of God that we slave ourselves to, we learned about this last week. And then without faith in Jesus, we are slaves to the elemental spiritual forces of the world we learn about here. If we live without faith in Jesus Christ, the fact is that we are living in slavery to the principles of this world. Basically lies. We are following and buying into the lies of the world that do not align with the truth of God. And as try as hard as we can, we will never break free of this because we are enslaved. We are locked up. But with Christ as Lord, he breaks us free from our slavery to the spiritual forces of this world. And then he enables you and me to do what is right for his namesake and as a team together as the church, the body of Christ. That's exciting. We are sons of God. We are no longer slaves. But our problem is, we are sons of God by faith in Christ, but we live like we are slaves many times. We still continue to live like we're enslaved to sin or to the principles of this world. It's like we forget who we are. It's like somebody stole our identities, and we think we actually believe that we're not who we are anymore. They literally took it from us. You know, it reminds me of this story from this movie, The Blind Side. It's kind of an old movie now, but if you haven't seen it, it's an excellent story. It's a true story of Leanne and Sean Tui, who take in this homeless teenager, African-American teenager, called Michael Orr. Uh, they nicknamed him Big Mike because he's, he's big, as you can see. And Michael didn't have any idea who his father was. His mother was a drug addict addict, and, and then Leanne, the wife, soon takes charge over Michael when uh, they find out he's going to the same school that his kids, their kids are, and so they, they take him in, and they just start loving on him, and she makes sure Michael gets every opportunity to succeed. Now, Michael didn't have any instruction or upbringing on how to really learn so his school was just, they were just passing him through. He, he did not know really how to learn. But they provided him with a loving home, and eventually they even adopt him, adopted him into his family as their son. And later he improved his grades thanks to a tutor that they hired, and then they, he qualified for an NCAA uh, Division I scholarship to football. And, uh, and Michael Orr later was the first-round pick of the Baltimore Ravens in 2009 NFL draft. Now, I, I bring this up mainly because Michael's identity was not clear, but when he became a part of this family that loved him 
and took him in and adopted him as their own son and supported him and loved on him, his identity clarified, and then he thrived. He achieved what his skills, you know, they, they fanned in the flame the skills that he had naturally that God had given him. And then he thrived. He made it to the top of the, you know, the, the skill level in our country. The reason why I use him as an example is because it's the same that we will experience when we come to realize we are adopted sons of God. And the more we can live by that, the more that you and I will experience the thriving in this world. No matter what difficulties we face, we will still thrive because we will know who we are in Jesus Christ. Through faith, we are part of God's family and we are sons of God. And if we are sons of God, we no longer need to look for the meaning of our lives. Many of us struggle at times. What is the meaning of life? What is significant for me to do? What, you know, I don't know what the purpose of my life is. But when we trust in Christ and we know we are sons of God, then we know the purpose we have immediately because he is our purpose. He is the one who gives us what he has called us to do if we know his word. We have meaning. We have purpose. We have direction. And then we can live and thrive because of who we are in Christ. We know our identity. But oftentimes we, we like, it's like we're still slaves. It's like we've lost our identity. We've forgotten who we are. And then we, we get off and we start following the lies of this world or the lies of our own flesh that have been told us over time. But we are, the truth is, we are the sons of the Almighty God. For example, do you find that you have little passion to pray often? You just don't pray, maybe throw up a little quick one here or there? Or you don't have really a desire or passion to read the scriptures and to understand who God is? If that's true, you have an identity problem. Or maybe we're, we're living two lives, like one life when we're here with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we act a certain way, but then we act differently when we're at work. It's like we're going by different standards. Or we act differently when we're at home with our families or with our non-believing friends. We act differently. That's an identity problem. We forget who we are in Christ. Or do we struggle to give up habits, sinful habits in our lives that lead us constantly in rebellion against our Lord God? That's an identity problem. We're still living like we're enslaved when we're actually set free. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 go on to say, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Harry Houdini, I don't know if you know who that is. He was a great escape artist in the early 20th century. And he made this claim when he traveled around the country. He would say, you can put me in any jail cell that you have, and I promise you I'll escape in a short time. And he kept to his word. He did it. Every single time, no matter what jail cell he did, somehow he'd get out of it. People were amazed, except for one time. He went into this jail cell in regular clothes, uh, just street clothes, and when he went inside, the door was shut, clanged before, uh, after him, and he went in. And then he's left alone, and then immediately he takes out of his belt this little piece of metal that's kind of strong and durable, uh, but flexible, and he goes to work on the lock. And so he started working on that lock, 
but there was something wrong. It wasn't like any other lock that he was trying to pick. He couldn't unlock it. So after a half an hour went by, he started to get a little panicked because, you know, usually he's out by then. After an hour goes by, he's starting to really be frustrated and he's starting to sweat because now his reputation's on the line. After two hours of trying to unlock, pick this lock, he gives up. He's frustrated. He's all sweaty. And he just, out of frustration, sits down in front of the door and leans against it, and it opens up. It was never locked. He was trying to pick a lock that was unlocked. He was thinking it was locked, and that's why he couldn't do it. And he didn't know if he just knew that it was unlocked. He could just <laughs> swung the door open and walked out immediately, said, hey, I'm out. It's, see, it's the same way with us as Christians. If we don't know who we are, we think we're still enslaved when actually Jesus has set us free. It's like Houdini. We're trying on our own efforts to try to unlock the door to set ourselves free when Jesus has already set us free because we're sons of God. And it's useless because we can't set ourselves free when we're free already in Christ. We who have faith in Jesus are sons of God. We're no longer a prisoner of the law or of God or the law of sin. And we need to live like we are already free in Jesus. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not condemned. We will not be punished. Jesus was condemned. He was punished on your behalf and my behalf. Do we live by that truth, though? Often we condemn ourselves or we accept the condemnation of others because of our mistakes or our sins. You know, when we don't resonate with the truth that Jesus is Lord and we are a son of God, then we, no matter how hard we try to find meaning and significance in life, we will not find it. If we're here today and we're just thinking like, ah, what is the meaning and significance of my life? Then we have lost our identity in Christ. Only Jesus fills the emptiness of our hearts because in Christ, our life is in him because he is life and he is the source of life and he offers us life if only we would just trust and follow him because Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Father, this truth is so profound and deep and yet so simple that you are Lord that Jesus is our Savior, our Redeemer, Forgiver. Lord, and yet we make this so complicated in many ways. Because of our own pride, our own sinfulness, almost like we desire to be enslaved to the things that we try to pursue, the things of this creation rather than the Creator. Lord, we pray that this truth would pierce and continue to transform us by the power of your Spirit that is within us so that we can be your body on earth and that we can live according to the truth and be messengers of that truth that is within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.